Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily. The Great Hunger, Trevelyan's Corn, and Making Amends for the Irish Famine. Here's a verse from a song pretty much every Irish person on the planet is familiar with. Michael, they have taken you away For you stole Trevelyan's corn So the young might see the morn Now a prison ship lies waiting in the bay Now the lyrics reference the great famine of the 19th century and the role won Charles Trevelyan, a British official whose name is not just etched in a famous song, but also in our history books. The Irish population has not recovered. We are now in excess of, of 7 million. So that scar is there. The stories of human misery must not be forgotten. And his sins of the past are to the fore once again as relatives now seek to atone for his actions. But I think, you know, where one ends up is, as Tony Blair said it in 1997, the Britain's Prime Minister at the time, those who governed in London at the time of the Irish famine failed their people by standing by while a crop failure turned into a massive human tragedy. To find out more about this latest debate and indeed the wider mission of a new UK lobbying group, Heirs of Slavery, a gathering of people whose ancestors profited off the slave trade, I'm joined by John Downing, political correspondent at the Irish Independent. John, the name of Charles Trevelyan went down in our history books as a symbol of British colonial rule over Ireland. But tell me a little bit about who he was and and indeed why he was sent to Ireland. Yeah, um, Charles Trevelyan, the name Trevelyan, by the way, which is of interest, it's a Celtic name. His forebears were Scottish. He grew up in Somerset uh, in the West Country. 
not a million miles from Cornwall, son of a clergyman, extraordinarily bright guy, went to Charterhouse School in London, encountered a, a teacher there called Thomas Malthus, the Reverend Thomas Malthus, a very influential economist and a population expert or demographer who had lots of theories on population and the dangers of rising population. Now, that was quite significant in uh, Trevelyan's future life. He, ha- he went to India, was in the uh, East India Company and later the Indian, the colonial Indian civil service, British colonial service, uh, rose swiftly through the ranks, very disciplined, very hardworking, extremely bright, back to London with him. And he was appointed uh, to a very senior post in the British Department of Finance, the so-called Treasury. He was Assistant Secretary of State there from 1840 to 1859. And a huge, of course, a pivotal period because it spanned the start of the Irish uh, famine and its aftermath. And uh, he had direct responsibility for the response to the famine, or some would say the non-response to the famine, or very limited response to the Irish famine. It is important to remember that he was a senior civil servant. Uh, He was, in in other words, the theory was that he was implementing policy which was decided by politicians. The uh, main uh, prime minister at the time was a guy called Lord John Russell. Who the hell was he? Nobody remembers him. Everybody remembers Trevelyan, largely because he was influential. He was also very upfront in a time of of secrecy and so on. He was quite transparent and open. He wrote uh, articles for the London Times and he actually wrote a book called The Crisis in Ireland. And his attitude was to protect himself uh, from politicians and schemers in the uh, British administration that he would be quite open about what he was doing. And we look back at the Great Famine on Goethe Moore, John, and if you kind of take the time out to swat up a little bit on some of the details, you can find yourself getting very angry over what happened, indeed, in the lead up to the famine, during the famine and then afterwards. Absolutely. The treatment of people was so inhuman. The failure to recognize their humanity and uh, the teetotal lack of empathy for their suffering and their difficulty and the position that they were left in. The potato the potato crops failed. Um, there was no uh, or very little and very slow uh, famine relief to, to replace the diet. The diet was very heavily dependent on the potato, particularly the poorer sections in rural Ireland. And when that was no longer there, uh, other other things, there were there were eventually piecemeal things. There were soup kitchens, there was meal, there were, there were things distributed. But at that time, and this is probably the most galling part of it, the uh, Ireland continued to be a net exporter of food, particularly grains, which could have replaced the potato and when there have been analyses done 
of similar catastrophes on mainland Europe, particularly Belgium, France and elsewhere. And the authorities, while they were given, you get, it was very much a nothing for nothing world. But on the other hand, they did not stand idly by to the extent that the British authorities did in the case of Ireland. My son, I loved my native land with energy and pride. Till a blight came over all my crops and my sheep and cattle died. The rents and taxes were to pay and I could not them redeem. And that's the cruel reason I left old Skibbereen. And the consequence, you uh, you know, you're saying you really have to do have a look at the, the specific stories. We throw out a statistic which says one, uh, one million people died directly, either of starvation or the fallout diseases because they were so malnourished. Two million people in the ensuing decades were forced to leave this country. In 1840, the population of Ireland was knocking on for nine million, well in excess of eight million, the island of Ireland. To this day, the Irish population has not recovered. We are now in excess of, of seven million. So that scar is there. We also see the, the Irish diaspora all over North America, Australia, New Zealand and elsewhere. And that is is a product of of what happened. But the stories of human misery must not be forgotten. The sheer suffering, the degradation, the families who tried to support, the stories of, of, of parents trying to feed their children and at their wits end and then dying of starvation and malnutrition, the pile up of, of corpses, the uh, public health problems arising from the inability to bury the dead quickly enough. It goes on. It's, it is the most distressing thing to, to contemplate. It really is, John, from when you look at the, the penal laws, people being pushed off their own land, forced to be tenants, basically, to very big and lavish estates taken over by the British. Then... Yes. You know, then walking into this awful nightmare regarding the potato blight and then suddenly having this crop failure, but also being, again, forced off the land, you know. So any tiny little sliver of hope people seem to have diminished day by day. And then eventually this all leads to, as you mentioned, the soup kitchens, but eventually the workhouses where people would literally just go to die. Yes, absolutely. It was as simple as that. And people showing up, I mean, they were already at death's door, many of them, because the, the workhouse was the last option. It was an inst- a very forbidding institution, border, but basically not much better than a prison in many situations. And uh, the families were divided, segregation of, of uh, according to gender and children taken from parents and so on. And, you know, the most, uh, a most distressing option, for a non-option for, for very many people. Uh, also, we, we have to know, I mean, uh, the, the point about Trevelyan was that he was of his time. Charles uh, Trevelyan, Charles Edward Trevelyan, uh, was a huge, uh, huge devotee of laissez-faire 
let the market sort these things, let this happen. He also uh, believed that there was an element of racism at play here, the Catholic Irish. Now, it's challenged how, whether he uh, was as sectarian as he was caricatured. Uh, I think he was more just a cold, uh, a very, very cold realist. But he did believe that the that Catholicism and, and the Irish approach to life had led the population to spiral uh, to a dangerous level where it wasn't sustainable. The dependency, it wasn't underpinned by proper economics. Again, that man Malthus, who, who uh, had taught him his ideas. So uh, Catholic Irish, it's interesting to contrast the Highland, later, there were, in Scotland, there was also a potato famine, and his response to that was better. Though, mind you, not particularly munificent either, but it was, it was better, and it is of note that, of course, the people in question in Scotland were Protestant. And that brings us to today, and why we're discussing this, John, is we have this new group in the UK called heirs of slavery and they are a group of people who basically have traced their ancestors' role in some awful atrocities, the slave trade and indeed the Great Famine. You have the former BBC journalist Laura Trevelyan, you know, acknowledging the fact that her great, great, great grandfather, Sir Charles Trevelyan, did essentially fail the Irish people. She is apologising. She's not ruled out compensation. What do we make of all of this, John? Well, I think she's a thoroughly decent person and very well-intentioned. And she was asked questions about this. Laura Trevelyan, by now aged in her mid-50s, a very accomplished woman uh, uh, as a BBC journalist who has recently given up her journalistic work to devote her time to this organisation, Heirs to Slavery. She was asked about, she was aware, uh, or only became aware of uh, of Charles Edward Trevelyan's role in the, in the Irish famine when she was covering the peace talks in Northern Ireland around the time of the uh, of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. When I was a BBC reporter covering the Good Friday Agreement, I tripped over my own history there. I well remember Martin McGuinness saying to me, gosh, is this a coincidence that the British have sent a Trevelyan for the BBC, a state institution, to cover these negotiations? And I assured him that it was a coincidence, but he didn't think that it was at all. Now, she says that she was asked directly on on BBC uh, radio, you know, if you're involved in this uh, some form of, of reparation for the, the legacy of slavery, what about the legacy of the Irish famine? And she said, yes, look, uh, the, uh, I belatedly in my later years learned about all of this. And uh, I, if uh, it, it may be an issue for reparation of some kind, perhaps uh, the London government and the Irish government should engage on talks along that along those lines. But I mean, while it's it's decent and well-intentioned, I think it's impractical. I think it's a bit pointless. I think it's very late in the day. I don't know where you would start. I mean, I have a list if they, if they ever want it. 
plantation of Leash in Offaly in 1556, the plantation of Munster in 1586, plantation of Ulster in 1609, Cromwell's to Hell or to Connacht project in the, the early 1650s, violation of the Treaty of Limerick in, in 1691. By the way, we still feel that one down in Limerick. But, you know, the trouble is it's time to move on. Um, we It took until June 1997 at a famine event in Mill Street, uh, the, the great Irish actor Gabriel Byrne read, dramatically read a letter from Tony Blair, which was kind of an implicit apology. It basically said, it wasn't a direct apology, but it did say, London should have done something. A million people should not have died uh, in when there, there was a, in an, an island adjacent to the then richest country in the entire world. London failed. London should have done more. So that's that's that. But I think it's time to move on. I think I, I don't see and I, there is no appetite in Irish government circles to pursue this in any way. Uh, you know, it, it would at, at very best be tokenistic. It would uh, aggravate, give give fodder to extremist sort of anti-Irish, uh, vehement, uh, europhobic old bigots. You know, so I mean, we're, we're Ireland's moving to a completely different rhythm by now, and we deal with our history. There is a benefit. Uh, all right, Siobhan, in that the point you make when you read about, you know, the famine and contemplate it, it is worth uh, never forgetting such things. And there are contemporary lessons to be taken from it. I must say at this point, John, that I did reach out to the heirs of slavery team and they did respond to me uh, via email. Um, they were invited to come on the podcast. I was hoping that Laura her- herself might come on and have a chat with me. Um, they declined. They said they're focused on organising their conference now, which is the next public event following their, their launch. Um, so their intentions aren't initially about the Irish famine, although it it has been acknowledged now by the group, John. But there is some um, well-meaning intentions behind the idea of the group. The people involved are are absolutely mortified by the behaviour of their ancestors' uh, role in the atrocities of the slave trade. Yes, absolutely. And there probably is more scope here. I mean, you know, you're not. Uh, let's not get in, involved in in the business of comparing, you know, degrees of victimhood or, or atrocity, but there are differences between uh, the what, what came through the Irish potato famine, eighteen forty five to eighteen forty seven, and the, all the fallout from that. Differences between that and the utter horror of slavery and the legacy of it, and I think the firstly they are. Uh, very influential people, uh, very much aware that their privileged position in society to this day owes a deal to the exploitation of unfortunate African people who were carried, particularly to the Caribbean, from Africa, enslaved, and so on. To some degree, they're putting their money where their mouth is. These are also influential people, and they can do things. And those uh, countries which upon which slavery was visited are still suffering. There are issues about uh, genetic health issues arising from a, a 
an over an undue sugar diet, which causes all sorts of health problems, not least a very high instance of of diabetes. There is uh, these countries are struggling with debt. There is a practical thing. Perhaps there's an influence there that the Western world could kind of take the the boot off their necks and uh, put for bring forward debt forgiveness. There is vast uh, opportunities for health, education and other social investments in these countries to help people to help themselves. So, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't be remotely cynical about uh, the intentions of these people, but compensation, if it's to have any meaning, is probably going to have to be in the billions. And that really is beyond the, the even very wealthy people probably beyond their means it probably is 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 something for state and and multinational organizations that's a good point john uh, laura trevelyan in february she traveled um with other relatives to granada to apologize and offer a hundred thousand pounds in in reparations for the family's ownership of I think, around a thousand enslaved people on the caribbean island it is um Small change when you think of the incredible amounts of monies uh, earned on the back of the slave trade, of the, the slaves themselves over a period of around 250 years. Things like, you know, British banks to this day started up on the backs of the sugar trade. Yes, absolutely. It was a central uh, component of of what they call the triangular trade at the time, and Britain heavily involved in in it up to the uh, early eighteen hundreds. Um, and yes, uh, uh, the the amounts. I mean, for example, even the, the the question when slavery was finally abolished in British territories. There were reparations for uh, the slave owners for their loss of property, so to speak, and loss of, of free labor. But uh, the, the slaves were, were were left with nothing. In actual fact, initially, they had they had to work as kind of indentured servants for for a time to before they they were kind of finally got full freedom. So there 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 are absolutely interwoven, yeah, a heap of iniquities there. It's complicated in, in as to how uh, you do reparations to to uh, succeeding generations. Most reparation schemes uh, to date have involved payments to people to uh, pe- survivors who who suffered. For example, the Germans uh, paid rep- reparation to the survivors of the Holocaust uh, starting in the 1950s. The Americans paid reparations uh, going back to the 80s and 90s to ethnic Japanese people who were very uh, unjustly interned during the course of World World War II uh, after after Pearl Harbor, uh, people, ethnic Japanese uh, immigrants in the USA. Those issues are somewhat easier to manage than how you come at the succeeding generations and help them. But again, in, in a time, a very fraught time where we have say, movements like Black Lives Matter and things like that, it is uh, an important contribution to uh, the, the 
growing and continuing debate on this issue, the legacy of slavery and how to ameliorate it in some shape or form. Because the past has essentially defined the present. Absolutely, yes. My thanks to John Downing, political correspondent at the Irish Independent, for joining me today. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Anna Vejlarczyk, with sound by Niall McMonagall. Archive clips from Paddy Riley and the Dubliners, RTE, the BBC and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.